What an asshole. What just <laughs> straight up <laughs> asshole you are. <laughs> but they're not my words. There are your words. I just fucking listen to them. <laughs> Hello everyone and welcome to another edition of Films on Trial. I'm Gav. I'm Alex. I'm Joel. I'm Dave. And I'm Austin. Godzilla movies, bacteria, herpes, or Kevin Costner season. What do they all have in common? You seemingly can't get rid of any of them. Now we're <laughs> deep inside Kevin Costner this okay. week. As we're putting the 1997, sorry, that should have been deep inside Kevin Costner's season as this week. We're putting the 1997 action-adventure film, The Postman, on trial. Is it signed, sealed, delivered, or is it delayed, broken, and has outstanding customs charges on it? I thought that sort of postal pun would get a little bit more of a reaction, to be honest. It, it hurts it, too it much since post Post Brexit, it hurts too much because the uh, the costs are so so extravagant. That, yeah, when you get hit with them custom charges, it is soul destroying. Yeah, it's no laughing. It was, it was a decent like pawn, but it just wasn't funny. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I, I bought my friend's a, a, a birthday present the other day. It cost three pounds, and then when it arrived, it had like eleven pounds custom charges on it. <laughs> anyway, essentially, we're going to find out if this will be placed on our esteemed hit list or our steaming shit list. Now, before we go on, our last film on trial was Waterworld. Joel, you judged that trial and you deemed that for some reason it should be placed on the hit list. Now, you've since gone away and you've watched the film. Did you make the right call or not? I think I did, you know, but Ozzy picked Kevin Costner on for think to really endear us to Kevin Costner. And for me, it's had the opposite effect. I think with each film, <laughs> I'm starting to hate him more. And it's not just like, oh, God, I hate Kevin Costner. It's becoming, like, quite personal sometimes. <laughs> so, yeah, like, I enjoyed the film, and I, re- I think the premise is really good, but Kevin Costner is really bad. And Dennis Hopper is pretty bad as well, let's be fair. But Kevin Costner's worse. Like, I, I'd kind of put him up there, I think, at the moment with, like, Steven Seagal or somebody like that. <laughs> I just think he, he kind of lacks any sort of emotion. Like, he, he seems to play the same character every film, and I really like uh, The Untouchables and I'm kind of scared to go back and watch that now in case Kevin Costner is terrible in that. Maybe we should have like finished with The Untouchables, but lesson learned there, I think. <laughs> yeah, uh, okay. But I, but you still think that it was a hit? Yeah, I do. I think it was a good premise. And although there's like bits in between which are a little bit boring, like I quite enjoyed it overall. I enjoyed it more than Robin Hood. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, uh, fair enough. Okay. Praise indeed. Right, now on to the trial then. So all of the roles have been picked out of the hat at random. So acting in defense and trying to get this film placed on the hit list will be the Kevin Costner winning combo, Dave and Ozzy. Now, Dave is just like Will Patton's general Bethlehem. He may very well have a very boring office job now, but we know that when the shit hits the fan, he'll be in charge of a ragtag army through an insurrection. I don't know what, I haven't written anything down. I've just thought it would come to me. That's not even that insulting, Gav. Yeah. <laughs> I, I can't believe you haven't learned your lesson from last week when nothing came to you then either. <laughs> I know, yeah. And Ozzy is just like Lorenz Tate's character Ford. He sews his own clothes and he's an easily influenced and naive dreamer. Oh. oh. <laughs> This is quite sweet. 
Is he? <laughs> and acting as prosecution and trying to get this film placed in the shit list will be me and Joel. I'm just like Giovanni Ribisi's character, Bandit Number 20. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of thought went into that name, didn't it? I, I may seem like a big, treacherous, weak piece of shit, but all I really want to do is be part of a big, loving group. Is that too much to ask for, guys? Is he? <laughs> And Joel is just like Joe Santos's character, Colonel Getty. Some people say that he doesn't talk a lot because he doesn't have much of a personality. Now, just like real court advocates <laughs> <the> defense, <laughs> prosecution <laughs> will be making the best case for their role. Sorry, Joel. These may or may not be their real opinions, however, so do stay tuned until the end of the episode to hear their genuine thoughts. Now, this week, Alex will be playing the judge and he has to decide which list this film should be placed on, hit or shit, based solely on the arguments put to him and not using his own opinion. And Alex is just like Kevin Costner's character, The Postman. He almost reluctantly inspires a new generation every day, even though all he really wants to do is eat a lot and have a bath. <laughs> it's true. If you can do both at the same time, then that's, uh, that's a bonus. <laughs> I wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> <laughs> Now, before we get started, I think we should give the listeners a bit of a better understanding as to what this film is all about. So let us spin the wheel of impressions. You know what I was thinking? This whole section is pretty much a lie because we're always open with telling the listeners what the film is all about anyway. So you've just messed this whole thing up. We're just going over the same thing again and wasting people's time here. Right, okay, I'll change it to say, like, just to like have some light-hearted message. banter and fun before we start ripping the piss out of better. each other. Let's do an impression. <laughs> Is that fair? Much better, yeah. Okay, let's spin it. That fucking Why coyote, man. It's, uh, it lands on yourself, Dave. On me. Yep, so uh, here we read off the synopsis of the film in the style of one of the cast or characters from the film. This week it's landed on Dave, of course. How would we like Dave to read out the synopsis? I can in do best. A, a terrible Kevin Costner impression, a terrible Will Patton impression, or a terrible Postman Pat impression. Uh, Postman you, Pat. Postman, Postman Pat. Pat. <laughs> All day long. Postman that was Pat. the wild card. Yeah, yeah. All day Postman, long, Postman Pat. Uh, okay, I was just getting me Will Patton ready as well. Uh, okay. Postman po Patton. <laughs> <laughs> combination of the two postman pattern sure uh to, to anyone outside of the uk do they have postman pattern in the united states yeah a beloved a... a beloved children's character that's called mailman mike yeah mailman mike <laughs> that i'm about to slaughter basically a nameless drifter dons a postman's uniform and a bag of mail as he begins a quest to inspire hope to the survivors living in a post-apocalyptic america <laughs> Oh, wow. I'm a little bit like Paddy McGuinness, to be honest. I really enjoyed it. I think I got um, Postman Pat and Fireman Sam mixed up and was totally expecting a Welsh accent. Yeah, I was, ex yeah, I was expecting a Welsh accent. Is that what we've done there? Yeah. Fireman, Fireman Sam's from Pony Pandy, Postman Pat's from the Yorkshire Dales. Come on, guys. <laughs> Very well done, Dave. Very well done. Yeah. Um, so without further hesitation, Alex, would you like to please kick off proceedings? Yes, so I feel like I'm in a good place to do this because I've never actually seen The Postman, so I'm excited to hear. I mean, I know it's quite a big, long one, quite an epic film, especially for the time it was made, so I'd like an overview. Maybe start with you, Dave. Anything to do with Postman, Pat? Any similarities? 
Very few, very few. He has a mule for a bit, but it's, it doesn't call it Jess. So no. uh, <laughs> not really many similarities to go off here. Epic is the word. This is uh, an epic film in every sense of the word. It is a long film. We're going to discuss that later, I'm sure. There's no denying it. But it's a very compelling story. It's a very different kind of post-apocalyptic film than we're used to seeing. It's based on the novel by David Brin, uh, The Postman, which was released in 1985. And a lot of studios were vying for the rights to turn this into a film. Uh, it eventually landed at Kevin Costner's door. He took on the lead role as well as directed it. Uh, it was a bit of a passion project for him. He also liked the fact that this isn't your typical post-apocalyptic film. So the storyline essentially, it takes place in 2013, which at the time it was made, bear with me, was the not-too-distant future. And it's about 16 years or so after a post-apocalyptic event. It's been it's it's it they never actually really explained what the event was, but it's it's heavily implied it was an uprising by this guy, Nathan Holm, who basically took down the American government, destroyed the system, basically a whole civil war. Uh, the infrastructure of the United States was destroyed, followed by, you know, disease ran wild through the countryside. It was devastating. The United States, as they know it, is gone. So you've got these little settlements, as you normally get with a post-apocalyptic film, small settlements, small townships that have survived. And overseeing them, you've got, obviously, what's left of the military, as you would expect after a civil war has been won and lost. You've got warlords who basically are in charge. There is no centralized government. Now, where this differs from other films is the message of hope, essentially, that comes across. David Brim, when he wrote the novel, he was tired of post-apocalyptic fiction like Mad Max, where anarchy reigns supreme. You know, people just run amok, slaughtering each other, the world's gone mad sort of thing. He was like, well, what if people were just like, what if most people were just decent people and wanted a sense of order back? You know, that's why it's only set in the not too distant future so people could remember how things used to be. And the reason why it's a postman that he chose to make Kevin Costner's character is something so simple and so banal, something we take for granted, you know, just receiving your mail, being able to send a letter to someone, such a simple, pointless thing that everyone takes for granted. And yet when you've lost it and suddenly you start getting it back, people start to really get a sense of hope, a sense of achievement that, you know, society, you know, even this small part of society could be coming back. And that's what the film is about. You know, the desire for a sense of order, you know, not how things were, but elements of it that communication that we miss should the world come to come to a brutal end so the film follows kevin costner's character he goes by no name and he's just a traveling actor basically he travels around these settlements he recites a bit of shakespeare he's not very good he admits that just for exchange for food he gets kidnapped by a gang of these wholeness surviving military group led by general bethlehem played by, played by will Patton. he's recruited into them they're a brutal, savage group of guys, you know, educated and disciplined. Yes, they're not like you see in Waterworld or Mad Max, but they're still, you know, General Bethlehem is a psychopath in every sense of the word. He escapes from them and discovers an old mail truck, 16 years old. Um, and he takes the clothes because they're better than what he's got. He takes the bag of mail for fuel, but then discovers that he can kind of con his way into a settlement where they say, no, no strangers, turn them away by saying, no, 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 I'm a postman. The government's back. You know, they're trying to reestablish the government. Please let me in. You know, I'll just I'll accept a meal, but I've got letters for you. And this is how he starts. It's, it just starts off as a con and a lie. But people start catching on to it and like, oh, my God, what if the government is coming back? You know, we can communicate again. It's like, oh, I want to be a postman. This is like fun. You know, we can get some element of society back. General Bethlehem doesn't like this. And he starts cracking down on these postmen that start springing up left, right and center. A bit of a battle ensues there. Ultimately, it, was, it comes down to Kevin Costner 
versus Will Patton in a showdown. A reluctant one, because Kevin Costner's like, oh my God, what have I done? This was all a con, I'm sorry. But then comes to realize, you know what? There is hope. There's something worth fighting for here. Sounds like a pretty good premise for a film, very dystopian and also sort of American as apple pie. So I bet audiences lap this up. What's wrong with that, Gav? Everything, everything. This film, as Dave said, is an American post-apocalyptic action-adventure film starring Kevin Costner as a nomadic and nameless drifter who is reluctantly thrust into the role of saviour and must battle an unhinged dictator and his army of misfits. It is rightly considered one of the most derided films of all time and was a massive critical and commercial failure. Oh, sorry. I've just realized that I'm reading my notes from last week's Prosecution of Waterworld. <laughs> you know what? It doesn't fucking matter because it's the exact same bullshit. I mean, fair play to Kevin Costner, man. I know I've given him a lot of shit over the past couple of weeks, but the absolute balls on this guy to suffer the critical, commercial, and financial mauling that Waterworld received, and then think, you know what? I fancy a second bite of that cherry, but this time I'll set it in a desert as opposed to being on water. Yeah, I, I, I joked about comparisons to Waterworld before, but come back, Waterworld, all this forgiven. I originally said that Waterworld was too long and took itself too seriously, have I got a lot of egg on my face now? I may as well be a fucking omelette with eyes and a mouth. This film is fucking three hours long. Why is it that long? You could have told this film in about half the length of time and then had the time free to post and probably deliver an angry letter of complaint to Kevin Costner. There's an entire and very long recovery montage where the postman recovers from a fight that adds literally nothing to the plot. And this film just takes itself far too seriously. It could have been a semi-decent film if they would have just fucking lightened up a little bit. At least Waterworld, in comparison, felt like an action-adventure film. This feels like a documentary that you have to sit through in a museum before you're allowed to move on to a more interesting section. And with the po-faced pretentiousness comes sledgehammer-like sentimentality and jingoism. You can't go more than five minutes without somebody saluting or raising the flag or singing America the Beautiful. This film would have been better received if it was more lighthearted and fun, like Waterworld, or if it leaned into the ridiculousness of it all. I mean, we've got postal workers here are the new beacons of hope of a new civilization. It's silly. Like, it is silly. It's an interesting concept, but it is silly. But... Like, if they would have just leaned into that and said, you know what, we know it's silly, we're going to go with it, it would have been better. But instead, we have to sit through this painfully self-serious, absolute bullshit, and we have to keep a straight face through lines of dialogue like, you're a saviour. No, I'm just a postman. It's too serious, it's too long, and it's too much. Po-faced, and I mean, it does sound like it's taking itself very seriously, but Ozzy... My main question here is, why is it three hours long? Like, is there, a, is there a reason why it's three hours long? That is a very long time for any film. And to be honest, the, the story that Dave was saying sounded interesting, but I'm, I'm, I'm confused as to why it would need three hours to tell that story. Well, it's set into three sort of very distinct acts. You know, in some ways I agree. There, there, there are a few areas where you could have trimmed it down, you know, maybe two and a half hours, you'd have got there nicely. There are a few scenes that are a bit superfluous, but for the most part, they're good to look at. I don't think it actually takes itself too seriously. It's it's quite um, it's quite knowing. The same as the, with Waterworld is it's very knowing. Is that there? Are, it's it's cheesy and that's that's Kevin Costner's brand. You know, it 
I think he's gone a little bit over the top in terms of I'm the director actor, so I've gone a little bit long on this. And and you know he's a. Uh, I think he just got a little bit overzealous in terms of the length. I don't think there's any real issue with it though. The actual film and the way it's told, uh, the story just has a few areas where there's maybe a little bit, um, you know, a couple of minutes of dialogue where they could have trimmed that a little bit. But I don't, I mean, Gav's picked out, you know, just a couple of very choice lines there. When you, you have a, any movie like that, you can pick anything out of context to make it sound stupid, essentially. But that line in the context of the film and in the context of the scene which you've seen to it is, is completely, completely plausible. And, and because of the whole feeling of the film, around that point like throughout it doesn't, it doesn't feel that bad it's not it's not a silly line yeah i think i don't think it's uh sorry to answer your actual question it's it's, it's long because maybe there's a few few mistakes but the uh the sentiment of the film is is captured quite well okay. Honestly, i like how you make it out like this is this isn't kevin costner's fault you know he was the director the producer the editor the star he was hands-on in this and they oh, took know, it know, they took a screening he's... they did three test screenings and all of the audience came back saying yeah it's too long and he still went ahead with it he was like yeah fuck that what do they know well you know he's got to find his feet somehow as the director you don't think uh steven spielberg just went straight out and created an absolute hit for his first one did he no. but he'd already he directed he'd already won an oscar for directing with dances with wolves Right, we're gonna. I'm gonna jump in there because you know. But Dance with Wolves also quite a long film, so you know, obviously won an Oscar for it. He knows what he's doing. So maybe, all right, Joel, I'd like to bring you in here. Like, you know, talk about the context of the film a bit. You know, its reputation. Like, where do you think this film sort of sits within Kevin Costner films, within just you know films in general? Well, when I kind of heard the title of the film, The Postman, I thought it'd be like you know some nuance, you know, look at post-apocalyptic life or something like that. I didn't actually think he was just a postman running around, like, saving people. And I actually did a bit of research on the internet, and I think one of the first reviews that that came up, you know, where it gives you, like, a little one-liner, um, was something about, like, some guy made a joke, and he said, it's basically imagining, you know, a meter reader just going from door to door, killing people. And that's it. That's basically the complete lack of imagination in in this in this film. Gav's right when he says it, it's Waterworld 2.0. Like he's used the same themes, he's used the same plot essentially in a lot of it. There's some really weird scenes in there. There's just not much really to 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 sink your teeth into. And the whole kind of thing that it's three hours long is just ridiculous. I think Dave it was that mentioned it either last week or the week before, where he said, you know, if it's like an epic like Return of the King or something like that, that you've been waiting for for years and you want to see how you know maybe an epic story kind of comes to a close like we did with endgame or something like that then yeah you can sit there for three hours and you you can take it but you can't with this maybe like after an hour you're kind of looking at the clock thinking when's this going to end you know when's it going to wrap up and there's two hours left it's just far far too long whatever way you look at it even if it was a decent film which it isn't but like three hours is just too long by by any stretch of the imagination so all in all, it's a massive letdown. And in terms of other Kevin Costner films, bear in mind what I said at the start of this podcast that I'm hating him more and more. I think this was like the icing on the cake. If somebody like made a really shit cake and then Kevin <laughs> Costner just came along and just squatted on top of it. Like 
this would be that excrement that he's just added on top of it. And he's claimed wow. it's icing. So that's where it ranks it among the other Kevin Costner films. So are you saying, Joel, that Dances with Wolves is the cake, Waterworld is the icing, and then the postman is the big dump on top of it? I'm glad somebody understood. <laughs> Dave, I'm, I'm going to bring you in here and I'd like you to respond directly to Joel's metaphor there, especially about the shit cake, if you can. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to say, you know, that must make Bull Durham the sprinkles or something. Like <laughs> <laughs> I just want to come back on a couple of points here. You know, I mean, Gav said he just applied deep heat to his neck and was extra irritable the day. Boy, howdy, is he? this film is very different to Waterworld I went through that you know this is everyone likes to tire it with the same brush because they released only two years apart you know he basically stopped working on Waterworld I think released Tin Cup and then went in straight into the postman and it's two post-apocalyptic films in as many years okay everyone's going to tire it with the same brush and everyone enjoyed doing so and I'll, I'll explain what I mean by that critics I think were willing failure upon Kevin Costner at this point he made quite a few enemies in the industry. People were enjoying his downfall uh, after being one of the biggest box office draws of all time. Then came Waterworld, and people kind of enjoyed that. They enjoyed seeing the Kevin Costner, yeah, getting taken down a peg or two because they they believed him to be arrogant. Because uh, basically, what he did was he he took this from other studios uh, and robbed them off it, deciding to put himself in the lead role. He wanted to direct it. It was a, pu- a project he was passionate about which is one of the reasons why he didn't edit it down. You know, you don't want to cut back on your your dream, on your vision. You know, he had an idea for how he wanted to adapt this novel and he didn't want to dilute it, you know, and you can't blame him for that. It was a mistake in hindsight. That was why this was such a box office failure because people were put off by, I don't want to sit in the cinema for three hours. They didn't even give the film a chance. You know, we could have trimmed down Gone with the Wind if we felt so inclined. It's just, it's not necessarily the right thing to do. But critics wished failure on Costner for his arrogance for his hubris, particularly after Waterworld. They didn't even give this film a chance. Everyone was looking to stick the knife in to Kevin Costner. And that is why this film has been so unfairly treated. There is a lot going for this film. And it is a very different film to Waterworld, even though it feels easy and it feels good to kind of put the two together and have a go at Kevin in that in that respect. This did lighten up. There was a lot more humor to this than there was to Waterworld. This was a much better script than Waterworld had. It's a better story than Waterworld, even though the idea of just a postman being the hero, something so banal, something people just take for granted, it is silly. Um, But I think they know that, and I think they run with that, and that's what is so touching about it, something so ordinary, so day-to-day, can be important to people in the time where you have lost everything. So yeah, I think this film has been very unfairly treated on this podcast most most recently. (laughs) Duly noted, Dave. And, you know, I am willing because I know what critics are like. And I think after Waterworld, in fact, before Waterworld, they were ready to tear him down. So I can see how that wouldn't have wouldn't have helped matters for Kevin at all. But all right, let's get into the nitty gritty then. Let's look at the script, you know, putting all of that aside. Gav, you were talking before about like jingoism and stuff like that. It does sound very, you know, very American, you know, sort of, you know, stand hand on heart in front of a flag sort of film. Does this come out in a script as well? Yes, yes. The script may have just been three hours of Kevin Costner sucking off the American flag. I mean, another great, 
metaphor. I'm really well, enjoying this. <laughs> well, well, Dave and Ozzy, you really need to step up, step up that game, by the way. <laughs> is that Gav, are you done? Or can I, can I, bring could, I, could, I, I think Gavin, Gavin single-handedly, uh, single-handedly alienating 63% of our audience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, didn't say, I didn't say that was a bad thing. It's not desecrating it. <laughs> Flag us into it. Yeah. <laughs> if it's consensual, then it's fine. It's right. Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 I just want to say, about the script of the story sorry so america has been ravaged by a plague and a war started by a right-wing racist militia who tore up government buildings and who blindly follow an unlikable villainous asshole who admits that he had no prior military or leadership experience beforehand almost prophetic <laughs> he was you a know. businessman that was thrust into a position of great power <laughs> Yeah, it's, it is, it's, isn't it? Like, yeah. Nice. I mean, it's it's set in 2013, so they're about seven years off. But uh, yeah, uh, apart from that being quite relevant today, I, th I think the, one of the biggest problems for me is the scene setting. So at the beginning, we're told that every body of water is dried up. There's this scene at the very beginning where the postman tests a water supply to see if it's fit to be drunk by his ass. Uh, I mean, his, his donkey, his mule. Come on, guys, his, his donkey. Disgusting. <laughs> I thought that was a really interesting concept, albeit exactly the opposite of Waterworld, Dave. But I was ready to see where it went, and the answer is nowhere. That went literally nowhere. It was never spoken about again. And at the end of the film, once the war is won by the posties, we fast forward 30 years and civilization has been fully restored as if nothing happened. People are wearing colorful, normal clothes again. There are news channels, statues being built, and there is this uh, full, clear lake. There's, like, there's lakes, there's oceans, there's bodies of water. How did this happen? Why was there no water to begin with? How is there now an abundance of it? What did everybody drink beforehand? How did they grow food? Did they just live off canned goods and meat for 20 years? How do some places look like set designs from Mad Max movies, whereas other places have electricity? You know, uh, why uh, is... Gavin, oh, sorry. can I just stop you there? You've been to America, haven't you? You've literally seen how vast a country it is and how some of America looks like a Mad Max movie. And some of it is quite vast and green and has all sorts of... Uh, that's what, exactly what's in this film. It is literally just America. Yeah, but it's this is saying like that a... everywhere looks like a Mad Max movie, but then I think if you lived later. in if you nice. lived in Arizona, you might think everywhere because the walking <laughs> that this guy has to do. You know, it, it, it's a long... It's a big place. No, I just want to say, I don't know where this whole thing about uh, it being like Mad Max in the desert comes from. The opening section is in a desert, which is why he's got to test the water because it's in limited supply. It's just in a trough. You know, it's been out stagnating you know that's why he tests that water the rest of the film yeah. is all set in quite lush greenery it's set in like uh, colorado and it was filmed in oregon you know it's quite it's forests it's free-flowing rivers and things like that you know you don't have to worry about stagnant water that's all it is it's not like a plot hole it's just it, it moves setting now the general story <laughs> is literally apologies dave copy and paste from waterworld and so many other post-apocalyptic films but with few elements changed pun intended the problem is that it does not need to be a three-hour-long film. I mentioned the section before that it just felt long and unnecessary, and unfortunately, that is not the only instance. A lot of it is very trope-filled and obvious also. The protagonist is captured by General Bethlehem and is branded with the clan's mark. We're then told the clan's eight rules, including any member can challenge for the title of leader of the clan, 
but the protagonist is weak and he instead escapes. But we all know that by the end, he will reveal his mark and challenge for the title. It's all very obvious. I also gave you a glimpse of the script before or some of the lines of dialogue. They don't get much better than that, unfortunately. Costner also includes lots of Shakespearean quotes in the film, maybe in a dire hope to try and elevate the rest of the script. But if anything, it highlights just how shit the rest of it really is. Less Shakespeare, more Shake and Stevens. And, you know, I, I love Merry Christmas, everyone. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I'm just saying, I love Merry Christmas, everyone, but more than the next guy, probably, but it's no Hamlet. And the worst part for I'll me... I probably listen to Shake and Stevens more than I do Shakespeare, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> but the worst part for me is that the name that the postman picks for the new president who is providing so much hope amongst the new generation is Richard Starkey, the mm. bitterest, moodiest, Brexitiest of all the Beatles. <laughs> right, well, uh, <laughs> I'll take that point into consideration. Just looking a bit more, like, you know, looking at the script and maybe at these plot holes, like, Dave, I asked the, Aussie the same question before. Like, how how does this sustain a three hours? That that seems to be the thing we keep coming back to. Like, you would need some pretty good dialogue, some pretty good, you know, interplay between characters. Where is that in this film? It's it's omnipresent. It's throughout. You know, I, I don't think the dialogue is bad at all. I don't think the script is bad. It's it's a simple script. You know, the, the, the Shakespeare thing, it sounds more pretentious than it is. He is... A Shakespearean actor, you know, he, well, you know, he travels putting on shows for people, you know, in, in towns. That's what he does. That's how he's, he's how he's stayed fed for the last 10 years. So when the general who is an educated man learns, oh, you put on plays, you know, let me hear, you know, I missed your last play. Let, let me hear you some Shakespeare. And he delivers a Shakespearean line and the general's gang just like remain like completely solemn. And then the general recites Shakespeare and he has them all standing up and applauding. And it's just a way of humiliating him, this kind of rap battle, I think, as Austin referred to it before, you know, this kind of Shakespeare off that they have. It serves a plot point. It's not just in there for the sake of it. I do like some of the lines, though. It's it's a simple script, but, you know, it's just like some simple things like, you know, wouldn't it be great if wars could just be fought by the assholes who started them, Costner says to Bethlehem at one point. You know, it's, it's, it's a good line. And I think the interplay between the characters is very good. These are characters you do care about. Uh, even down to minor characters, like the, the Sheriff of Pineview, played by Daniel Von Bergen, you know, he he cottons on pretty quick that the postman is not, you know, here from a, a resurrected American government. And he's like, no, 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 you're, you, you can have a free meal, but then get out of my town. Don't give these people false hope. And then as he's leaving, he just, you can see he's thinking about it and he gives him a letter just to hedge his bets, just in case he is going to be able to pass it on to his sister. And later on, he gets a letter back from his sister who he thought was dead. And oh. it's this very touching moment where he's just like, he realizes, you know, there is the U S government might not be back, but, People can survive. Society can survive. And you can communicate with people. And, you know, there is hope after this cataclysmic event. And when he is ultimately executed by General Bethlehem as like a show of power, you do feel something. You feel for these minor characters and you feel something for the major characters. There are no plot holes here. The film is, the film is long, no doubt. It's an epic length. But there's no plot holes here. Everything is well explained. Some might argue too well explained, but your plot holes do not exist, and your character development is there in abundance. This time was used well. Lovely. Well, you know, we've sort of covered script now. Joel, bring you in because it seems like this film is going for, you know, the heartstrings, going for sentimentality, story about America, you know, coming back from the brink, but it also seems like it's going to be, it can have some action in it as well. So, what's the action like in this? Is it, is that keeping me entertained all the way through it? Uh, I would say no. I think for a post-apocalyptic film, it needs to be kind of dark and gritty, and it just isn't. I think maybe because of the 
the rating on this film. There just isn't enough kind of blood and gore. Not that I'm saying I want it all over the place or anything like that. Um, but I think you just want to kind of feel the kind of cruelness of the world, if that makes sense. If you compare it to something like The Walking Dead or any kind of modern post-apocalyptic TV show or movie, what they kind of do nowadays is they make everything a little bit darker, a little bit gloomier, and they make the kind of you know action and a lot more visceral. And I think this film is majorly missing that. And you know, just to kind of go back on what Dave was saying about the characters. I, I kind of majorly disagree on that point as well. I don't think you do care about the characters. Again, to, to kind of hop back to something like The Walking Dead, they do like a really good job of maybe introducing a character. You get to know them for a few episodes and then they die. And even though you've only known them for a short amount of time, you kind of, you know, gutted that they're dead. And that's because the death scene is so visceral or so brutal or you know, something like that. Whereas in this, you don't really care for the character to begin with. And then the death scene doesn't really have a payoff. It's it's not satisfying in any way, even if you kind of do want that character to survive. So I would say they really missed a trick there. And I think it's just, just basic. I'm not saying that it needs to have, you know, complete special effects, like 2020 special effects, but it, it should at least make you feel something when that character dies or when you see special effects which could have maybe been done a lot better whether it's through the use of practical effects or you know through cgi which i think you know this film could have done both of those things a lot better all right well joel's pushed the knife in there gav do you want to push it in a little bit further oh please just a little bit deeper i agree with what joel said i think it's less of an action film and more of a drama the action when it does happen is very very poorly filmed and edited I don't think Kevin Costner's done a very good job here with the direction of it. There's a scene after some of the postal workers have been captured and killed by the Holnists, where the postal workers actually strike back. They set up this trap and corner some of the Holnists and gun them down. It is so poorly edited that it looks like it was filmed by a cameraman on a bouncy castle. It is all over the place. And then the final fight scene is so laughable. I genuinely don't see how anybody could sit through that with a straight face. The film has been building up to this confrontation between Bethlehem and the Postman. And when they fight, like it's going to be epic because essentially they are fighting for a new America. But when they do actually fight, it is so underwhelming. It's made even more worse by the unnecessary slow motion and this weird sort of faded and fade out cuts to people watching the fight. I mean, you think of, of a climactic fight sequence in movies that have been building up, like Rocky versus Apollo Crews or Bruce Lee versus Han in Enter the Dragon. And then we have this, just two men rolling around on the floor. They look like two drunken dads fighting at a family barbecue. It's pathetic. I, I actually like massively disagree. I thought those cross cuts were quite clever in that you're basically dealing with two just normal men in a post-apocalyptic world who've ended up in these these roles you know they're not action heroes or or absolute baddies they've just become those roles within the last you know 16 years essentially you know though you know in 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 jesse's case and kevin costner's case within like the last the last year he just found the the outfit and then became the hero you know he's not not an actual hero do you know what i mean for me, I thought it was that the action overall, I think, was quite fast and quite was well done, cleverly done. I didn't think it was um, clunky in, in the slightest, to be honest with you. Some bits that are just off their time in terms of the way it's shot, but I, uh, I, I thought actually, action-wise, it was it was quite well placed and edited in terms of that. Like I've said, it's you know it's quite dramatic as a film. 
I literally did not say it was dramatic. I said it was the opposite of that. You said it, it is a drama. Yeah, it's a drama, as in like watching two drunken people have a fight. I'm gonna... see, see how somebody's <laughs> sentence can be taken out of context. Out of context, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I have seen that. Yeah. Right, <laughs> Dave, you know, where are you at with the action? Like, Also, just a quick question. Are we t- is it like gunplay action or are we just talking about people slugging it out here? Or is it a little bit of both? Mostly talking about people slugging it out, to be honest with you. We're not talking lavish action sequences and people flipping this way and that and CGI and, and things. It's 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 not visceral, but it's quite, you know, down to earth and hands on. It is just like it like kind of like it would be, you know, just like untrained civilians getting firearms. You're not looking at this incredible battle landscape like Spielberg did with Saving Private Ryan. But that very American idea as well, isn't it? Untrained civilians with lots of firearms. <laughs> I'm not going to comment on that political <laughs> aspect of it. <laughs> it's very American. Carry on, Dave. Sorry. Um, yeah, it's um, it's it's not that kind of action film. Like Gav said, it is a drama. There is action in it. There's plenty of it. Um, but it's not the dark and gritty thing. Like Joel said, he expected it to be dark and gritty. And like I said, that's not the point of this film. It's a very different post-apocalyptic film. You've not got this visceral sort of, you know, people being mutilated and tortured or something like you would in Mad Max. You know, the world is still full of, for the most part, good people. You know, there is that element of hope there at the end of the day. The practical effects I thought were really well done. You know, Costa did some of his own stunts here. There's some good stunt work going on. The CGI, I thought when, when it was used, it was used sparingly, but it was used well. And I thought the editing was absolutely fine. I agree totally with what Austin was saying that, you know, it's not an anticlimactic fight. It's just so they're not like used busting out some martial arts moves on each other. It is just two guys slugging it out and rolling around in the dirt and just like punching and kicking and biting each other. And it's kind of like, yeah, that's probably what a fight would Fighting. end up being. Yeah, yeah. Well, maybe, yeah. maybe that's kind of what a fight would end <laughs> what up. What happens being, in the crosscuts? Yeah. Before you know it, they're both naked. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, it just it all ties in with what David Brin had in mind for this novel. You know, it's not that kind of post-apocalyptic film. You know, he was delighted when Costner came on board because he said that the screenwriter Brian Helgeland and Kevin Costner basically rescued the soul of this central character after so many studios were trying to do just another Mad Max film. He said, you know, they reverted it back to his original message, which was one of hope, which we haven't seen before and haven't really seen since in this sort of genre. Lovely. Right, well, wrapping up action, I'd sort of like to come up to cast and characters, sort of our final point to talk about in this film. Uh, the main thing I've got worried about would be that, I mean, Kevin Costner, this is his pet project, right? And he, did he write it or did he just direct it and star in it? Just direct and star. Direct and star. Well, often when directors are directing themselves, he can be a bit, you know, Kevin Costner heavy, I would imagine. Does he do a good job of sort of spreading himself out a little bit? I think fire this over to Ozzy. I think the best bit about Kevin Costner directing himself is he's allowed to do what Kevin Costner does best, which is play himself. And, you know, and we saw that in Robin Hood. He's good as himself. We saw that in Waterworld. He's good as himself. And it's that he, lay, he has that, that sort of not a hero hero sort of vibe to him, you know, almost a, I just want to get by and, and do my own thing. But I'm also a good guy, so I'm going to get involved with stuff because I know what's actually right. That's such and, a cool vibe to have, Ozzy. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just a good guy, but I just want to get involved with stuff type of vibe. How do you even have that vibe? <laughs> and, and, but, he, but I think he's got that and he plays it well. He's got the, you know, he's just sort of the, we talked about it last time, you know, he's almost just a little bit laid back, but, but in this, you know, he's just trying to survive. And um, I, I, for me, I, I think that, yes, he's the hero, but he's actually, what it's what he inspires is, is the heroes. And I think he allows other people to have enough time 
And um, I, I think it's done quite well that he isn't the, the be-all and end-all of the film. But, you know, he is in, he is, he is in it a lot. He's the star. So. Right. Just coming to Joel, I know you were saying before about action and how like, you don't really give a shit too much about the action because you're not invested in the characters. So you said about that, but what about the actual performances, like the people who are playing them? Like, how, how good a job do they do? It's a mixed bag, to be completely honest. I think because of the fact that you're not behind more or less any of the characters, you don't really kind of invest in their performances either. Obviously, Kevin Costner is just, like, beyond bad in this film. Like, I don't even know what he was playing at. It, it just kind of felt like he was just trying to get as much cash as he could from the short amount of time that he had left in, in the film career, in the film industry, sorry, because he knew that all his films were just utter garbage recently. So that's kind of <laughs> how he no came across. <laughs> <laughs> then you've got people like Will Patton, who, again, he, he kind of plays very similar characters in all his films, and he plays like a very similar character here. He's like the, the general, the bad guy. As you as you kind of expect, it's just kind of very predictable in, in in some of the ways that these characters play out. I think the most exciting part is when you see somebody come on the screen and like Giovanni Ripsy, for example, and you're like, oh, it's it's Giovanni Ripsy, you know, from Friends or whatever. And that is generally the most exciting part of, of seeing some of these characters, like recognizing them from other things, because a lot of them aren't really in a great amount of stuff. They're not like grade A film stars or anything like that. They're in they use kind of sparingly, I would say, across maybe films and TV shows. And I wouldn't be surprised if looking at it, a few of the careers like really stored big time after this kind of similar to like a few of the people in like Star Wars episode one or something like that. I think this oh. film did that to some of these actors. Bit of a Artemis Fowl sort of. Exactly. Yeah. Sort of thing. <laughs> okay. Wow. Uh, pretty damn in there, Dave. Uh, you know, where, where are you at? You know, uh, it does seem like you've got quite a, yeah, you know, some some famous names there, but Joel's right. There's not a lot that you sort of do remember. Was this the one that basically ended them, ended their career? No, not at all. Um, a lot of the cast that you've got here, you know, with the, like one character that comes up, he's only in it for a bit, Tom Petty. He was never trying to make it as an actor in the first place. You know, this was just a little five, ten minute job. Do you want to work with Oscar winning director Kevin Costner? Yeah, go on then. You know, a lot of these characters just flit in and out. It's mostly on the postman themselves. And they've gone on to great careers. Lorenz Tate, who played Ford Lincoln, he, you know, he went on to do, he's been in Crash, he's been in Ray. He, I, I remember him best. He did a, a great turn in Power, the uh, the TV series. He's gone on to great things, and he was fantastic in this and in, in Latterly. Will Patton went on to do Armageddon and other blockbusters like the year after this. You know, he did, he did pretty well, did not damage his career at all. Kevin Costner, like I was saying before, with the way the critics you know, smelt blood in the water world, as it were, and kind of circled around him. <laughs> you know, it, they, they really stuck the knife into Kevin Costner. I think critics did for him, not this film. You know, it's uh, his ego just got the better of him, you know, out, on camera, off camera. And people wouldn't let him forget it. You know, that's ultimately what damaged him. Olivia Williams is in this. She went on the great things. Daniel Von Bergen as well as an established career as a character actor. These careers were not ruined by any stretch. You know, this, you know, the postman did not get a good reception, as Gav said. But I think people knew that once the dust had settled, there was a context to consider here. And maybe this film was treated a little harshly. And I think everyone does a decent job, including Costner himself, who may not be the most versatile actor out there. But I think it, it gives a likable performance as this character, much more likable than the Mariner from Waterworld. You know, there's more humor to this character. There's more humility to this character. I think he does a decent job. 
Okay, thank you very much, Dave. And Gav, sort of uh, final thoughts on casting characters? Kevin Costner does not do a good job. He does not take a backseat. He is all over this like a bad rash. He is terrible in it. This character, even more so than the Mariner, is supposed to be charismatic, charming, and likable. He's supposed to inspire people to start a movement, a rebellion, and he has all of the presence of a wet sandwich. His character is bland as his performance, but everybody thinks that he's the second coming of Jesus. First dances with wolves, then Waterworld, and now this. I think Kevin Costner might have some sort of fucking God complex. And once again, similar to Waterworld, he is being asked for his seed, and I just don't know why. Why is this the first thing that women think of when they see his character? Speaking must of which... The, must, be well, the, uh, must be the uniform. Yeah, hold on. <laughs> Sorry, just, just, just a quick moment, because I've heard that we've talked about this, and I, it just didn't register. They want his seed. They want his yes. seed. He One woman wants door. his seed. One woman. <laughs> like, who wants his seed? Oh, well, that unfortunate woman is Olivia Williams, who is the female protagonist of the film, a brilliant actress, having to do the best with such a terrible character. She essentially is in a relationship with a man, uh, and they have been unable to father uh, to have a child because. He got sick with the plague and now he's infertile, essentially. So they're asking Kevin Costner to stump up the spare. Because he does look like a stud, doesn't he? He does. looks like a, he does. a big book to come along. If I may, he's also, because... he's also the only traveller they've had to the yeah. town in um, years. Yeah, so it's kind of like, you're like it she, would get awkward if we asked stupid. Joe down the road to do it. You know, it's like exactly. you're here for a couple of days and then you're buggering off again this is the candidate for it and it's not that she finds him so desirable it's just he's right place right time because later in the film <laughs> she, she rejects him you know it's like yeah. he, he calls her always like uh you know oh um do you want to come over here you don't want to stay in my room tonight she's like no no thanks like, she, okay. she, she, was the schooled, <laughs> she was schooled on the confessions movies and she was like oh <laughs> i heard you postman are supposed to be quite randy yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, it's just... not it's not quite as bad as gav's making out okay Sorry, Gav, I interrupted. No, I was, I was just going to say that she, she she essentially plays a dams in distress, a love interest, and then a baby maker for the new generation. She's the most prominent and only female character, and so she's reduced to these awful female character tropes and stereotypes. Yeah, uh, Olivia Williams' character of Abby, I think Gav's treated her very harshly there. She is not a damsel distress at any point in the film. Sure, she is taken by the general at one point after he raids the town and kills her husband. She escapes herself. She does not need anyone to rescue her. She then picks up a gun and shoots down the guys that are about to kill Kevin Costner. She rescues him. She then saves his life. At no point is she a damsel in distress. She's very headstrong, very uh, got her own sense of self-will. No, that's completely unfair, I think. Okay, thank you very much. I feel like I'm ready to wrap it up. Can we have some closing arguments, please, Gav? Uh, yeah, just a very, very quick one. The postman retreads the same missteps as Waterworld in the exact same way, but this time much, much worse. It's like the purifier that the mariner uses at the beginning of Waterworld to purify his piss. But instead of keeping the water, Costner instead throws that overboard and just drinks the bit that has the concentrated piss in it. <laughs> That's essentially what this film is. Right, okay. Concentrated piss. Oh, I, I feel like it would have been a shorter episode if we just begun with that. With to be that. Honest. It would have been a lot, a lot quicker. My flourish isn't nearly as good as this. I was literally going to say... This is far from perfect, mate, but if you uh, overlook some of the shortcomings, and then there are a couple, you know, we just, we've been touched on them and I've conceded a few. I think it's actually quite rousing and touching. And uh, for the most part, I think it's quite an exciting uh, and, you know, and, and clever 
uh, tell telling of a, of what's what's clearly a well thought of story. I think it's got a great deal to offer, and um, for me, it delivers. Thank you very much, guys. Uh, anyone else got anything to add onto that? That's fine for me. I'm ready to make my judgment. Maybe a quiz beforehand before we jump into that. Yep, sure thing. Right, so this quiz is called Hey, Hey, Wait a Minute, Mr. Postman. And I'm going to ask you, I, I think, 10 questions. I don't even know. 10 questions all about post or correspondence in films, okay? So question number one, fingers on the buzzers. In Castaway, Tom Hanks probably holds the record for the longest delay in delivering a piece of mail after sitting off on an island for a few years. But which company did Hanks work for in the film? Bam. FedEx. Alex. FedEx. Well done. One point to Alex. I'm going to make, make a note here of, of uh, who's winning as well. So I've not seen Castaway, right? Just before, Sorry to make the episode longer than it needs to be. How does a FedEx driver with a piece of post end up on a... On an island. Well, assuming that he was really driving bad... was your first mistake. It <laughs> takes a really bad long turn. <laughs> he was driving through the ocean. <laughs> it should have dawned on him he was actually on a peninsula and he didn't have to stay there so long. <laughs> <laughs> turn around. <laughs> right. Okay. Question number two. Sticking with Tom Hanks. Hanks featured in another correspondence-related movie, You've Got Mail, where he played bookstore chain owner Joe Fox who has taken over Meg Ryan's independent bookstore. But question is, what are either of those bookstores called? Uh, Waterstones. <laughs> Fox Books, I think, aren't they? What, what was that? Fox Books. Yes, well done. Name. That's one of them. Anybody know the other one? It's like a quote from a book or something, isn't it? Um, it's the winter of our discontent. <laughs> no, it's it. The, the shop around the corner. <laughs> and sticking with Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan, they both feature in the ultimate correspondence-based sex fantasy, Sleepless in Seattle. Check out our trial, by the way, <laughs> if you want to hear why Meg Ryan is actually a vicious stalker in that film. <laughs> but Hanks' character obviously resides in Seattle, but where is Ryan's character based? Uh, Boston, Chicago, Baltimore, mm. Baltimore. Oh yeah, she works for the Baltimore Sun, doesn't she? She does. She does. Of course, you can't have a postman without having post. And in 2017, Hanks was in a film called The Post, alongside Meryl Streep, who played America's first female newspaper publisher who battled to publish the Pentagon Papers. But what was the name of the newspaper involved? Um, Dave. It was the Washington Post, wasn't it? It was the Washington Post. Well done, Dave. Okay, next up. What does Tom Hanks's character Forrest Gump write to tell Jenny about whilst he is fighting in Vietnam? Shrimp. Ping pong. Yes. Well done, Alex. Yeah, he, she, he writes to say that Bubba has asked to go 50-50 with him on a shrimp-based business when he gets back. Well done. <laughs> okay. And <laughs> next question. Tom Hanks and his fellow suburbanites... <laughs> Is he just in a lot of films with letters in? <laughs> yeah, he, but he has written into his contract. I'm not going to be in this unless there's some <laughs> sort of correspondence. <laughs> uh, Tom Hanks and his fellow suburbanites believe that a new family on the block, the Klopex, have murdered their neighbour Walter after they discover what item in the Klopex basement, which had previously been posted through Walter's mailbox. A watch. It, it does, it does begin with a W, but you wear it on your head. Oh, wig. 
Ah, well done, Joel. A wig. Yeah, Walter's wig. Okay, next question. In the movie Big, Hanks plays a giant child who receives one single piece of correspondence from a mystical machine that informs him his wish to be big has been granted. But what is the name of that machine? Salter. Um, Salter. I'm going to give that to Oz, even though he didn't buzz, but, uh, you know, he rarely gets anything. So. Yeah, I was just so excited <laughs> to actually know something for a change. Uh, number eight, Tom Hanks' character Woody writes a note to his owner Andy at the end of Toy Story 3, instructing him to donate Woody and the rest of the toys to a little girl. But what is the name of the girl? Ooh, Bonnie. Oh, well done, Dave. Bonnie, yes, oh, Bonnie. And uh, Hanks was also in Road to Perdition, which featured one of the most famous letter-giving scenes of all time <laughs> as, <laughs> as he gave a letter of goodbye to his sleeping son. Uh, but what was the name? So sorry, but which actor played Tom Hanks's mob boss, John Rooney, in that film? Um, Dave. Paul Newman. It was Paul Newman. Very well done, wow. Dave. Okay, wow. and question number 10. In the original Miracle on 34th Street, the probable fraud Chris Kringle is let off from a cold, <laughs> harsh prison sentence by the defense's presentation of thousands of letters all written to Santa. But what saves his ass from... <laughs> but what saves his ass from doing bad in the 1994 <laughs> remake? Um, <laughs> Alex, what's that? A dollar bill. Uh, yes, uh, can you be more specific? Uh, the phrase, in God we trust. Yes, yeah, well done. The phrase, in God we trust. Just saying a dollar bill might imply that Chris Pringle bought off <laughs> the judge, <laughs> <laughs> which he may well have done. Right, uh, scores are in, and that is, um, oh, I think it's a tie between Alex and Dave. Uh, no, Alex has won with five out of ten. Well done, Alex. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Nice. Nice way to segue into me making a judgment on the film as well. Well done, Gav. Uh, so, yeah, looking at this film, you know, I've never seen it before, so I've got to make my judgment. Starting with the overview, I have to say the premise got me. I'm quite I'm quite looking forward to seeing the film just for the premise on its own. Like, it does seem a bit cheesy, but that's kind of what I want from a Kevin Costner sort of film. You know, I kind of want that sort of slight jingoism. It might piss me off, might annoy me, but... I have to say the actual premise of the film is quite intriguing. So I'm quite looking forward to seeing, you know, dystopian Kevin Costa film on land. So that got me. I was you think that's because you watched Postman Part as a child and now you're an adult, I'm... you think I'd like to see Postman Part, but in the apocalypse. Yeah, with a gun and beating, <laughs> beating people to death. That's what I wanted to see in the original Postman Pat, to be honest. I never felt like it had enough violence. So uh, I'm really, really looking forward to that aspect of it. Also, I always felt like some of them might have wanted Postman Pat's seed. And I, I, was, I, was, I was sad that it never, there was never an episode about, you know, the greengrocer wants seed. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. Um, <laughs> I'm absolutely fine about, you know, looking past the reputation. Because I do think Kevin Costner was basically just, uh, they just threw him out, didn't they, of Hollywood a bit for, for a time. So, yeah, I'm, 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 it does have a bad rep, but maybe that's unfair. The script doesn't seem good. I mean, you know, it had a few good lines and the basic plot uh, seemed fairly good, but there did seem like there were a few sort of, you know, a few holes, which I think everyone seemed to to agree on. The action seemed a bit lacklustre from, from what everyone was saying, a little bit like fine, but nothing particular, like nothing that really stood out for anyone. So so not 
much going on there, but but still like not terrible, but just maybe not anything absolutely fine. And then the cast and characters, I have to say, like it again, it sounds like everyone did a fine job, but no one really stood out. Like Will Patton did an okay job as a villain. But I didn't really get the feeling that anyone really, you know, General Bethlehem just seemed like a bit of a shit, really. And, you know, different, not really anything special. And, you know, I, I like Kevin Costner, but it does seem like it's mainly just a Kevin Costner vehicle and you are watching it. I think the main thing for me is, is there enough here to keep three hours going? And the answer is no, really. I, I think it, it all sounds fine and it all sounds quite entertaining and it all sounds like something I want to watch right up until you say three hours and then it's like how i don't understand how it how or why it's three hours and i think the only real explanation for me and i might be wrong is that kevin costner starred and directed in it and i imagine he was quite heavily involved in the editing process and didn't just didn't like chucking out much from his performance perhaps so uh yeah i'm gonna put it on the shit list but i do think i'll enjoy bits of it i just don't think i'll enjoy it for three hours Thank you very much, Alex. Well summed up there. So, genuine opinions, starting off with Dave. Yeah, you've made absolutely the right call there, Alex. There's no <laughs> doubt about it. Uh, the Postman is is a terrible film. It's the fourth biggest <laughs> box office bomb of all time, and it deserves it. Yeah, the critics were unnecessarily harsh on, on Costner. It's not an absolute write-off of the film. It looks good. It, it's actually well-directed. You know, the, the premise is, is all right. The performances are fine. There's nothing absolutely terrible about it, apart from Kevin Costner's gigantic ego, which swamps everything else and pushes everything out. You know, they were sticking the knife into Costner for a reason he, he had this coming kind of kind of like caesar on the ides of march you know he kind of made, <laughs> made his own bed wow. on this one <laughs> um yeah it's not a good film it is way too long and there is no pulling it back from that they begged him to cut it back he refused you know he and he just wouldn't listen to reason yeah hubris got the better of him on this one he's only got himself to blame there was the makings of a half decent film here a passable film that length, though, is is inexcusable, especially when there's not enough to keep it going. You're absolutely right. And also, I just want to point out, Kevin Costner also sings the song that plays over the end credits, as well as editing, directing, Jesus. and starring. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Uh, and Ozzy? Uh, I, I think you also put it on the, the right list. Yeah, it was, just a, it was just a little bit. It's just long, mate. I mean, I, when I first saw it as a film... I genuinely thought, what what is this going to be about? I took a guess that maybe it's you know a new post apocalyptic news of postman. I figured, what's he going to do? Just like literally, his, his job is to travel around and deliver the post. That's his mission, and and it almost certainly is 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 mundane as as that. To be honest with you, that it's just a man trying to deliver post. You know, even some of the jokes do land. It is some of it is funny, some of it is good, but um, for the most part, you know, there's a whole host of very deliberate choices of using Shakespeare and trying to use it in context and to to outshine stuff, but it just doesn't it, it it just doesn't land. You know, it's it's. I think there's times where it tries to be cleverer than than it is. Jesus Christ! So if I watch this in half an hour sections, it's still going to take me six days <laughs> to, <laughs> to get through. Hey, John, I really pity you. To be fair, that you have to watch this film. Like it, it's absolutely terrible and. I always like to picture things that happen in my head, like, you know, when they were having like the table reads and it comes to the bit where he's like, oh, and in this bit, this woman just really, really wants to proceed. <laughs> <laughs> the whole table goes silent. And I'm like, um, 
Kevin, do we do we really need another film where a woman wants you see? <laughs> it's it's just a strange, strange film, and it is just like a Kevin Costa party. And oh yeah, all his kids he, he are in deserve, as well, aren't they? He, he mm. deserves everything he gets like, after isn't... this for me. I thought it was all right. <laughs> like, <laughs> I did. I thought it was all right. I thought it was. It was. You know, it is pretty naff. Like, and to be fair, I did watch it in three different sections uh, because I just had shit on, um, so I had to keep on pausing it. And that's probably why I thought it was all right. I think if I would have to sit down and watch it in three hours entirety, then it would be a different story. But yeah, I thought it was all right. The jingoism did piss me off a bit. And I do think that the action scenes are laughable at times. There's no fucking way that you're going to be able to watch that final fight between Will Patton and Kevin Costner and keep a straight face, man. It is hilarious, honestly. <laughs> I felt like recording it and sending it to you, but I was like, no, no, you won't appreciate this until after the trial. But yeah, on the on the whole, I think, it, you know, if it would have gone on the hit list, I, I probably would have understood, you know, people's outrage. But it was all right. Yeah. I, like 50, I, I'm, I'm upset that we didn't win, but it's definitely in the right place. <laughs> yeah, it, it had to be done. But no one's mentioned the best scene yet. The little kid that kisses it. Yeah, the little kid. Kevin Costa rides past on a horse. Little kid runs out of his house with a letter. Like, oh, I missed him. Kevin Costa turns around, stares down the kid, full pelt, giant horse galloping towards this kid. Kid holds out the letter and he snatches it from his hand. Instead of slowing down like a normal human being (laughs) who would think, I don't want to cover this kid with dust or possibly trample him. I'm going to slow down a bit. No, full pelt, snatches a letter from his hand. And then at the end of the film, there is a bronze <laughs> statue of that moment. A literal well, literally false a bronze statue of yeah, Kevin yeah. on a, a horse. A literal false yep. idol of Kevin Costner on a horse, reaching yeah. out to grab this letter from the kid's outstretched hand. I can't yeah. believe that the, the prosecution didn't write I know, I, I know. I, I, f- I forgot about it, to be honest. But, too, um, too easy, I think. Yeah. There wouldn't have been yeah, a trial, really. The... Low-hanging fruit. I, th- I think, that, to be honest, he was trying to teach that kid a lesson. Don't be late with your mail again. <laughs> to be fair, we just see the letter leave the kid's hand. We don't know the kid didn't go under those hoops. <laughs> the end, that's what my bin man does for me each, every Thursday. <laughs> right, okay. Higher or lower than our previous film on trial, Waterworld, which got 48% critical Lower. 43% audience I think I'd rather watch Waterworld for 24 hours than watch Jesus. this film again I definitely would yeah right well uh, we've got very very low critical response 8% which is oh, very Christ. very low maybe that the lowest one we've ever done however it got a higher audience score 50% so really? 50% of people out there think that this film's alright maybe I'm one of those I don't know now uh, next week Maybe for like it's fifty percent of people who thought they were reviewing Pokemon Pat. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe and the the fifty negative reviews or the fifty percent negative reviews are people who thought that they were criticizing their own postal service. (laughs) (laughs) Ratemypostman.com. Now next week is the unfortunately culmination of our Kevin Costa month, and we've picked out a film out, out of the out of the Kevin Costa hat at random. And it is the bodyguard. So okay. uh, the roles have been picked out of the hat in random. So in defense, oh no, sorry, judging the bodyguard will be Dave. In defense will be Ozzy, Ken, and Joel. Right. And in prosecution, it's going to be myself and Alex. Have, have I prosecuted every single Kevin? Oh no, I was the judge for one of them, wasn't I? But anyway. So, you know, I think this is going to be, this one has got to be a shoe in. Like if this is by far the best Kevin Costner film. Um, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, just went on the hit list a couple of weeks ago. And this is better <laughs> than that. 
I don't, no, 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 don't, don't shoot yourself in the foot. Yeah, I'm judging this one. (laughs) (laughs) No, uh, yeah, just to say thanks everyone for all your arguments. And thank you very much to everyone who has listened to this episode. Really appreciate you taking the time to listen to this. If you want more Films on Trial content, go to filmsontrial.co.uk. Check us out on any podcasting platform. Check us out on Twitter, at Film Trials, and Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram, Films on Trial. So that is it. Kevin Costner has finally taken a knock to that big ego of his, but we're going to put him on trial again next week. The man can't get a rest when we put the bodyguards on trial. Goodbye. What's wrong with Halloween 3, by the way? Not scary as what you tell Shoot up, buzzy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good film. <laughs> <laughs>